So since my mother-in-law does attend the Ridge, I probably ought to say I'm not scared of my mother-in-law, although my son told me I probably should be. Um, she is kind of a kick-butt-and-take-names-later type of person. But uh, anyway, there was a fear mentioned there, or there were, there were those fears that were mentioned there. One that was not mentioned was one called acrophobia. Now, some of you probably know what that means. Even if you don't, some of you probably experience it. Acrophobia is the fear of heights, right? It can, and so it's also used to refer to the fear of flying. It's used to refer to the fear of skydiving. Um, some of you know that I had the opportunity a number of years ago to skydive. I've done it twice now. And um, the first time was about 11 years ago. It was something I'd always wanted to do. And the first time I jumped, I went tandem, which simply means you jump with someone else. A professional jumps with you. And the reason they do that, it makes sense, is so that you have someone else that very first time to kind of guide and control everything. They pull the cord, you know, on the chute. You can just enjoy the experience. So you're strapped into a harness and, you know, you get that on and then they put on a harness as well. Then right before you're ready to go out of the plane, they hook those two harnesses together and you jump together. So when I met the person that I was going to jump with, the professional who'd done that, guess what the first thing I did was? I sized him up. I wanted to know what's this guy like that I'm jumping with? Is he capable? Is he trustworthy? Does he look like the kind of guy who would meticulously pack his parachute, you know, and get it right? Well, so we went through some training, then we got in the plane and we took off. And while we were on our way ascending, um, there was another guy, a friend of mine and I were both doing the jump, so there were two guys jumping with us, four total, and he asked the two professionals, he said, how many jumps have you guys had? The guy I was jumping with said over 800. Made me feel pretty good. If he had said like two, it probably would have made me a little bit more nervous. But we ascended to 13,000 feet, the door opened, and out we went. Now, before we went out, um, I asked the guy I was jumping with, I said, hey, what happens if you get to the door and you're just ready to go out the plane and you're hooked to this person and they say to you, I don't want to go. And his response was, no, sounds a whole lot like go to me. <laughs> yeah, so we did. We went out of the plane. And honestly, I loved it. It was a blast. We did a free fall for about 8,000 feet. And then he opened the chute, and we just floated to the ground for about 5,000 feet. And that was fun. That was a rush. But the biggest adrenaline rush, even though free falling for 8,000 feet was cool, the biggest adrenaline rush for me came when I was standing there at, in front of that door of that plane, and they opened that door, and you're looking down 13,000 feet, and you're thinking, we're going out of this plane. That's quite an adrenaline rush. I want to show you what it's like. And as I do that, um, if you watch closely, you'll see in this video where the door actually opens and you can experience what I experienced. Yeah, that was a pretty cool experience. Um, now, my main question going into that jump was not, could something go wrong? My main question was this. Could I trust the guy I was jumping with? And so that's why I think I'm drawn to Peter, Peter in the Bible, because he had to wrestle through some questions. And actually, that was one of the questions he had to wrestle through himself. It didn't have to do with skydiving. It had 
to do with walking on water for him. That's the story we're going to look at today. But his main question had to be, before he stepped out of that boat, do I trust the guy who's telling me to come to him? So we're in the series right now that we're calling Man in the Mirror. And we're looking at the life of Peter as Peter had to ask some hard and significant questions related to his life. He had to look in the mirror and answer those questions. And today, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at not so much extreme sports, but extreme discipleship. And when I talk about extreme discipleship, the word discipleship simply just means to follow or followership. So when we talk about Jesus' disciples, we're referring to his followers, in other words. So let me do this. Let me give you the setting. It's at the Sea of Galilee. We're getting pretty familiar with the Sea of Galilee. That's the area where Peter grew up. Last week when we started the series, we were at the Sea of Galilee too. Jesus spent a lot of time there at the Sea of Galilee as well. In that video you saw earlier of me, I was standing at the Sea of Galilee. Now, it was an evening, and it had been an incredibly busy day for Jesus and his disciples. I mean, they'd healed people. Jesus had taught to thousands. He had fed 5,000 people. He's exhausted. He's tired. So he just wanted to go off by himself and have some quiet time, alone time, downtime. So he put his disciples in a boat. This is in the evening, and sent him out on the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on a hill to pray. Many times in the Bible, you'll read about Jesus getting alone by himself, having some quiet time to pray. A lot of times it talks about him getting up on a hill or going up to a mountain to pray. More than likely, that place was Mount Arbel. It's a place right there in Israel, and it overlooks the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful location. Let me show you a picture of it. Look up here on the screens. And you can see those two people sitting there in the lower right-hand corner of that picture, that is Mount Arbel. And when Jesus went up on a mountain or a hill to pray, more than likely, this is something that he would have seen. This was the setting, a breathtaking setting. When we were in Israel, they took us up on this mountain. I had an opportunity to go about where those two people were sitting. I remember when I was standing there overlooking, I was saying, no wonder Jesus came up here to pray. I mean, what a beautiful place to go. What a breathtaking Scenery, what a, you know, if you're going to have to get alone, what a perfect place to go like that. So the setting is the Sea of Galilee, and he's told Peter and his disciples to get in the boat. Now understand this, when Jesus got in the, or excuse me, when Peter got in the boat, this was his comfort zone. He was a fisherman by trade. So it was as comfortable to him as if he's sitting at the supper table. In fact, supper probably did take place on the boat for him on many evenings. But a storm blows up onto the lake. And it was an enormous storm, one that perhaps they hadn't seen before. And when you think of the Sea of Galilee, think more like Lake Michigan than, than thinking about Lake Monroe. It was a big, big lake. And it was susceptible to storms. It sits kind of in a bowl. The mountains surround this lake or this sea. And so it's susceptible to storms coming in quickly. And also they can be pretty intense, pretty severe storms. Now, remember, we said Peter is a fisherman by trade. He's accustomed to being in a boat. He's accustomed to storms. But this evening, this was a different kind of storm. It's perhaps a storm like Peter and his, and his buddies, his disciple friends, had never seen before. This is a storm where they thought they were going to die. This is a rip the shingles off your roof kind of storm. Let's read about it. It's recorded in Matthew 14. Here's how the story starts. I'll begin in verse 22. 
Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. You can picture that now. You know where that took place. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. I think it's safe to say, as we'll read about here in a few minutes, that they were just wondering if they were going to stay alive at this point. But I have a question for you. What if Jesus put them in the storm on purpose? And would God ever do that to you? Cause you to go through a storm on purpose? Now that kind of rocks our world, doesn't it? Because usually our prayer is, God, please remove me from this storm. So should our prayer change to God, what do you want me to learn from this storm? Jesus put him in the storm on purpose. Now, how do you make sense of that? There was something he wanted them to learn that they could only learn by being in a storm. As I look back on my life, the times I've grown the most, the times I've learned the most, the times I've learned to trust the most have been during the storms. Back to Matthew 14. Peter noticed a shadow moving toward them on the water. And as it got closer, it appeared to be a human figure walking on the water. Now, what do you do with that? That doesn't compute, does it? So, so let me read to you what they did. Continue, Matthew 14. Here's verse 25. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. <laughs> now they've gone from the fear of storms to the fear of a ghost. And you're saying, come on, a ghost? Yeah, even if you don't believe in ghosts, if you had been there, you might have started at this moment, you know? So here's the question that's banging around in our minds. What is Jesus up to? Let me answer that with a question. How do you learn to trust how does God grow your faith? He puts you in situations that require faith. Looking back on my life, I can see specific examples of God's faithfulness to us as a church. And in every single one of those, that faith-building experience was accompanied by a difficult time. Accompanying those times were fear and a realization that we were totally dependent on God to see us through. At one occasion, many of you may know, we had a vision as a church to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. That's still our vision today. But to do that required significant changes in the way we would go about doing church. It required us becoming a different kind of church. And change is hard. So you can imagine, not everyone was buying into that change. In fact, it was creating a lot of tension. And a number of people decided this vision wasn't for them, so they moved on. My concern, though, was more about what was going to happen to our church. How many people were going to buy into our vision and stay? 
I mean, I was asking myself questions like, are we even going to stay afloat financially? I wondered, are we going to survive? Now, on a personal level, my personal concern was, am I going to have a job a month from now? How am I going to take care of my family? We were in a storm. We were just trying to keep the boat afloat. I was wondering if I was going to end up a failure. I only had God. Let me translate that for you. The perfect time for God to step in and build my faith and build the faith of our church. Storms. They do that. So here's lesson number one. Faith building is accompanied by storms. Storms reveal God's presence and power like nothing else, assuming you're looking for God in your storms. Let's keep reading. Back to verse 27. Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Now there's a lot to unpack here. Jesus' first words were, don't be afraid. Do you know that that is the most frequent command you will read in the Bible? Don't be afraid. That's because we gravitate to fear, not to faith. Listen closely. Fear-based living is no way to live. God does not want you to live that way. Fear is actually a control issue. We're trying to control our lives. But you don't have to live that way. Jesus' next words were, Take courage, I am here. Those same words apply to you in any storm of life. Jesus promised to his followers, for example, in Hebrews 13.5, is that he would never fail us. He would never abandon us. So next, Peter did something that any of us, all of us can do. He wants to confirm that it's really Jesus who is there. So he simply says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. So how do you know when it's time to step out by faith in your life? Here's how. You take God at his word. We sometimes make faith out to be something that it's not. You know, like I have to take this blind leap or like I have to be super spiritual or something like that. It's simply taking God at his word. In other words, what does the Bible say? Does my decision and next step align with what the Bible, God's word says? That's why something like the Ridge Reading Challenge is so important. I hope you're participating in it because when you are reading the Bible daily, it puts you in a position to know what God is saying. So another principle for followers of Jesus is this. Faith is simply taking God at his word. Now, if you're using message notes, just cross out the word building there. That word should not be there. Faith is simply taking God at his word. So Peter does take Jesus at his word. He jumps out of the boat into the middle of this life-threatening storm, and he begins to walk on water. And as far as I know, he's the only person other than Jesus 
who has ever walked on water in the history of the world. When I was there in January in Israel and at the Sea of Galilee, I remember when we showed up to the Sea of Galilee for the first time. I don't know why this thought popped into my head, but the first time I saw it, here's what I was thinking. I'm standing looking at the only body of water of the world where somebody has actually walked on water. You know, how cool is that? Now understand this though. Faith doesn't mean you need to do crazy, irrational things. Faith doesn't mean you need to do something stupid. Faith isn't about taking risks for the sake of taking risks. Jesus isn't looking for bungee jumpers or tornado chasers or even skydivers necessarily. Water walking wasn't a recreational sport for Peter. This isn't a story about extreme sports. This is a story about extreme discipleship, extreme followership. And for Peter, that means that before he gets out of the water, he's going to make sure that Jesus thinks it's a good idea. That's what extreme discipleship looks like. Having the faith to take God at his word. So when you, personally, make a discipleship decision, what does that look like? Well, we don't have to make more of it than it is. Sometimes it's a decision to walk across the street and help your neighbor clean out their garage, even though it feels inconvenient at the time, because you know that's what Jesus would want you to do. It's a decision to wait until you're married to enjoy a sexual relationship because you know that God loves you and he has your best interest at heart when he tells you things like that. It's a decision to volunteer at church or serve others because you know that's what Jesus wants you to do. It's a decision to stay the course and do the right thing, even when it's not popular, even when it could cost you something because you believe ultimately that God's way is always the best way. It's a decision to give the first part of your income to God and be generous with him because he's been so generous with you. It's a decision to respond kindly and patiently to an impossible person at work because that's what Jesus would do. Faith is simply taking God at his word. He says it, I'll do it. So Peter got out of the boat. Now that doesn't mean Peter wasn't scared. And that leads us to a third discipleship principle. It's this. Faith is not the absence of fear. It's acting in spite of our fears. Peter took Jesus at his word. Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat. Now let me state the obvious. If you're going to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. In fact, John Ortberg, a pastor and an author, wrote a book based on this story in Matthew 14 that he entitled the book this very thing. If you're going to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. It's listed at the bottom of your notes today if you want to read it. It was written several years ago. It's a great read. I read it again before I um, was preparing this sermon. So put yourself in this story. Hear, feel, and see how strong the storm is. Imagine the size of the waves the strength of the wind, the darkness of the night, and feel the rain just slapping against the side of your face and no dramamine, you know. It would be tough enough to try to walk on water if it, the water's calm, if the sun is bright, if the air is still. So what would you choose? The turbulent water or the security of the boat? 
well, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. But where is the safest place to be? It's in the center of God's will. So when Jesus says, come, the safest step to take is the one toward him, period. And when you do that, you may even experience life to the fullest for the first time in your life. There's something inside of all of us that tells us that there's more to life than just sitting in the boat. You were made for something much more than fear and failure avoidance. You were created to live the life God wants you to live to the fullest. So what is your boat? What is your security blanket? Is it your vocation? A relationship? Your family? The secrecy of an addiction? Your bank account? Your retirement plan? Your retirement savings? The comfort you feel in keeping things just like they are? Your fear will tell you to stay in the boat. Faith is simply taking God at His word. Scary? Yes. But it's so worth it when you walk on water. I have a friend who is incredibly successful in life. He's a great guy. He's done things the right way. He's built a company. In fact, he's built several of them. He has more money than he'll ever spend. He enjoys life. Has a million-dollar home. Has a home in a warm climate. Vacations when and how he wants. We were together recently, so I asked him, where do you see yourself in 10 years? His answer surprised me. He said, I want to be doing something that matters. I want to serve God in some way. He's living the dream, right? He's got more money than any of us possibly could ever dream about. But he's saying, there's got to be more to life than this. So my advice to you would be this. If Jesus tells you to get out of the boat, regardless of what the storm is like around you, do it. Because it's, that's the only way you're ever going to walk on water. Now this isn't the end of the story. After a few steps, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and only saw the storm again. Reality set in. That will happen to you. Setbacks, opposition, unexpected obstacles, and you're going to begin seeing the wind and waves around you again. The tension between fear and faith will always be present in this life. So let's keep reading the story. Back to Matthew 14. Here's verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Now, I don't think Jesus is being harsh or critical when he says this, you have so little faith, why did you doubt? I don't think he's being harsh or critical when he says that. I think it was simply a teaching moment for Peter. I would almost read a loving or gentle tone in what he says there. Jesus is helping Peter grow in his faith. Which leads us to one more principle, and it's this. 
Water walkers see fear and failure as the price of growth. Check out how this story ends. Verse 33. Then the disciples worshipped him. Yeah, I guess so, huh? You are really the son of God, they exclaimed. All 12 disciples, assuming they were all there that day, learned an amazing lesson. But only Peter overcame his fears. So Peter's faith grew exponentially through this experience. Don't let your fears and don't let your failure hold you back. They are often the best opportunities for growth. Was Peter scared? Yes. Did Peter fail? Eh, sort of. I mean, he began to sink. But only Peter walked on water. Before Jonas Salk developed a vaccine for polio, he tried 200 times unsuccessfully. He was asked, how did it feel to fail 200 times? He replied, I didn't fail. I discovered 200 ways how not to vaccinate for polio. When Winston Churchill was asked about the time he failed a grade in elementary school, he responded, I never failed anything in my life. I was just given a second opportunity. Failure is simply a judgment of an outcome. And if you view, view fear and failure as opportunities to grow, you'll never fail. Failure doesn't shape you. How you respond to failure does. When it looks like you failed, and you will, remember this. Jesus will be there with his hand out to lift you up. Peter was a different person from that night on. Because that night was an opportunity for growth. Eleven other guys witnessed it, but they didn't experience it. It's experiences like this that led Peter to become the incredible and great leader in the early church that he was. And Jesus is still looking for people to get out of the boat because he knows it'll grow our faith. How about you? When was the last time you got out of the boat? We tend to gravitate to comfort, to security, to predictability. But the way to partner with God is to get out of the boat. It's the only way to walk on water, in other words, to experience the abundant life Jesus has for us. This year, 2018, I believe is going to be an amazing year at our church. I can't wait to tell you more about it, and I will as our year progresses. But it's going to be a year where I'm going to have to get out of the boat. It's going to be a year where we as a church have to get out of the boat. There are already times where I've heard a little voice inside my head say, play it safe, Jerry. Stay comfortable. Furthermore, if you get out of the boat, it can be a little bit scary out there. You could set yourself up for failure. But if I play it safe, I'm not going to walk on water. If we play it safe as a church, we'll never become what God wants us to be. So this last week, I took a step out of the boat. I had a conversation on Thursday with a senior consultant from a company called Enjoy who's going to help us as a church look at the possibility of extending our impact beyond what we've done. 
It's time for us as a church to look beyond ourselves. And stay tuned on that. We'll tell you more as the year goes along. But one of our values as a church, in fact, it's our very first value. You can read these on our website. Our very first value as a church says this. We are faith-filled, big-thinking, all-in risk-takers. And it continues by saying, we refuse to insult God with small thinking and safe living because we serve a God who calls us to dream big and live out of our comfort zones. But for the last few months, I've had to do some soul searching. Am I willing to take that first step? It's so easy to stay in the boat. It's so easy to stay comfortable. So how is God asking you to get out of your boat? Do you need to have a tough conversation with someone that you've been dreading? Do you need to forgive someone that really doesn't deserve to be forgiven? Do you need to say yes to a challenge that God has been leading you to take, even though you know it's going to stretch you and maybe make you feel uncomfortable? Do you need to have the courage to admit that you need help beyond yourself to overcome a habit or addiction? So you just need to show up at Celebrate Recovery this Thursday evening. Maybe you're feeling pretty comfortable. I like my friends just like they are. I like my small group just like it is. I like just where I'm volunteering right now at church. Hey, don't ask me to do more. I like my downtime. Is God asking you to step up and become more of a leader here at church? Do you need to share your story of how Jesus has changed your life with someone? Your but now story that Josh talked about a couple weeks ago? Do you need to invite someone to church? Even though you've been told no many times in the past from other people, I heard from a Ridger this last week who did this very thing. They said they'd been told no a number of times and didn't want to bring it up again, but she got out of her boat and invited the lady. She said the lady broke down, started crying, told her her life story, including the struggles she's had and how she's kept God out of her life. And she's planning to come to church with this Ridger next week. You got to get out of the boat to walk on water. Francis Chan says it this way I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this by my own power. I want to live in such a way that I am desperate for Him to come through. At the bottom of your message notes today, I left you a fill in the blank. Here's what it says. My next step to get out of the boat is, and you fill in the blank. Here's why I did that. I want you to take a moment. I'm going to challenge you to take a moment before our service ends and to fill in that blank, to write something in there. Because there's something about writing it down that'll make it more tangible for you. So I'm going to ask you to perfectly consider that and do that before our service ends this morning.